how many of y'all have had just one of those days? You know what I'm talking about? How many of y'all just had one of those weeks so far? Like, it's just one of them. Sometimes it's just like that sometimes, right? Like, today, today has just been one of those kind of days for me personally. And I think you need to know sometimes and be reminded of the fact that I'm a person just like your persons, and y'all have days, and I have days, and there are times and there are moments when just in a moment of being candid with you, I would, I would rather not. I would rather not stand here and, and do what I'm about to do. I would rather be at home sitting in my recliner, being absolutely useless, putting to rest this day, one of these days, but how many of you know that even in the midst of those days, even in the midst of those weeks, our God is still good, and he's still worthy to be praised, and our God is greater than our feelings. It doesn't matter how that particular day feels or what we are feeling emotionally or, or what we're dealing with internally. Our God is still good, and he's still deserving of being praised, and he's still worthy of our worship, and he's still going to open up his word before us. And regardless of how this day has been or this week has been, if we will open up our hearts to a ready position, he's still going to speak. That's what I love about our God. It doesn't matter about us. Our God is a God who is in spite of us. In spite of us, he loves. In spite of us, he grants grace. In spite of us, he grants mercy. In spite of us, he grants forgiveness. In spite of us, he still speaks. In spite of us, he pursues us in relationship. I'm thankful for a God that does all those things in spite of me when I have one of those days. So even if you came in here like me tonight with just one of those kind of moments, our God is still good. He's still going to move. He's still going to work. He's still got a word for us tonight, and I'm excited to get into it. Psalm 34, that's the place to be tonight as we put the final installment of our Not Lacking series in, where we have for the entirety of the series focused on not being caught lacking, making sure that we have what we desperately need existing in our lives, and we've covered a variety of different things, whether that be salvation, making sure that we are not lacking and being covered by the blood of Jesus. We talked about wisdom, how it is so important for our lives to be filled with wisdom that comes from God as we make life-changing, life-altering decisions. We talked about not being lacking when it comes in our preparedness for Christ's return which, by the way, today marks another historical moment in us being closer to Christ's return than we have at any other time in history. We talked about love. We don't want to lack love. And this is, about, this is to be the most loving community on the face of this earth. And people should be able to come into this place week in and week out and see a sincere, true, genuine, Christ-like love being exhibited amongst brothers and sisters who live underneath his name. We don't want to lack love. And then we talked about spiritual warfare, how we don't want to be caught lacking when we encounter our enemy and how God has given us weapons of warfare to do battle with. And he has given us an identity to be solidified in so that we can stand firm when we face those battles. We just don't want to be caught lacking in any way, form, or fashion. But to lack, by definition is to be in a state of being without. It's not having enough. It's deficient in some way. But the reality is, a life lived in surrender to God, it lacks nothing. Psalm chapter 34 shows us that, starting in verse 
8, we read, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you know the Lord is good? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This message titled tonight just mirrors our series title, so let's talk about not lacking. When we place our lives into the hands of the Almighty, we have no lack. Now, the devil in this world may want you to think that you do. As a matter of fact, that's been his tactic for a very long time, is to try and get all of humanity to focus on our apparent lack. All he wants you to do is focus on the things that you think you don't have and that everybody else does, or the things that he wants you to believe that God is withholding from you for whatever reason, whether it be out of spite, whether it be out of God just being a a mean bully or not playing fair, wanting to share with you the goodness of his blessings and his faithfulness, all the devil wants to do is to get us as a humanity to focus on the things that we have an apparent lack in. It's been his tactic from the very beginning. God places Adam and Eve in the garden. He says, all of this is yours. Just don't mess with that tree. What was the one thing the devil tempted Adam and Eve with? The one thing he wanted them to look at and see as being lacking in their life. God said, you have all this other stuff. You don't, you don't need that. That tree is there, but you don't need it. But the devil wanted them to see it as something that was a lack, something that God was withholding from them. So it's been his tactic from the beginning to have us focus on the things that we apparently lack. But the truth is, with God, we have no lack. With God, there is no being without. There is no not having enough. There is no facing a deficiency in some way. He gives all that we need. He provides all that we need. He is all that we need. If you have God and God has you in his hands, you're not lacking. As a matter of fact, when David wrote this psalm, he had gotten himself into a place where he shouldn't have been. He had been anointed to be the next king of Israel, and Saul, his predecessor, was still on the throne at this time, and he had gotten word that David was going to succeed him, and so Saul didn't like the idea of that. So he decided, well, I'm going to take care of that, so I'll just kill David. And then he won't be able to take over the throne then because he's going to be dead because I'm going to kill him. And so David, in in fear, is is running from Saul, trying to protect and preserve his own life. And in so doing, he actually runs behind enemy lines in the Philistine territory. And once he gets there, some of the Philistines recognize him. They take him into captivity. They're like, wait a second, that's David. And even the Philistines knew that God had an amazing purpose upon David's life because they're like, I mean, we've heard what they say, like, Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. Like, this is going to be the next king of Israel, and he's right here on our doorstep. We got him. Let's take him to the king. And so they grab David. They take him to the Philistine king, and now David standing before this king is likely facing his death. Once the king sees who this is, he's going to take him out as well. So David, as he's standing before this king, decides to come up with this ruse where he's going to start acting crazy. You can see this in 1 Samuel chapter 21. So as he's standing before the king in his courtroom, David just starts acting absolutely mental. Like they just got him out of the psych unit at the hospital. Like he is going crazy. He's thrashing around. It says that he was spitting and slobbering all over his beard. And as the king looks down and sees him, they're like, what, y'all brought some crazy guy in here? Why'd you bring this dude in here? 
And they're like, this is David. And he's like, there's no way that's David. Like, there's no way this guy is the next anointed one to take over the throne of Israel. Get this guy out of my presence. And so he dismisses. David narrowly escapes. And afterwards, he's hiding in a cave, and he writes Psalm 34. So he wrote this psalm as a reflection upon God's goodness and provision over his life in a moment of peril when it was very likely it could have been ended. And he's writing this, and he's speaking to the fact that even though he's faced his share of struggles, even though he has faced his share of trials and adversity, he realizes that his life didn't lack good. David's exclamation as he sat in this cave that he escaped to was to say, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, only somebody who had encountered the reality of a good God could sit here in this kind of a situation, a nasty, stinky, smelly cave, fearing for his life, not knowing if he's going to be guaranteed another day or not, can exclaim, taste and see the Lord's good. It's not a good situation. Even in the midst of it, David says, my God is still good, even in the midst of all this that I'm facing. There's a reason why we testify that no one and nothing fulfills and satisfies like God. Some of you are sitting in this room tonight, you may not have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know what it's like to be made new by him, but you have heard other people testify even in the midst of horrific trials or struggles or adversities in their life, that God is still good even in the midst of those things. And that does not make sense if you do not know his goodness. But once you know it, you can exclaim with David, I know even in spite of all these things, my God is still good. Sometimes we just need to reflect and be reminded of the truths that we say that we know, though. So that's what I hope to accomplish in these next moments, showing you how we truly suffer no lack with God. And it's going to be so basic that you may think it's missing a lot, but here's what I want you to consider. What are the true needs of life? What are the things that we really cannot lack in having? And don't overthink it. What are the true basic needs of this physical life that we have? Well, as a human race, we've actually identified five of them. Food, water, air, shelter, and sleep. Prolonged periods of lack in any of these things will bring our survival to an end. These are the basic needs of life. Now, let's be reminded of how good our God is. In God, we have no lack of bread. We need food, we need water. It's a basic need of life. So in God, we actually learn that we have no lack of bread itself. Psalm 145, and I hope y'all are ready for some scripture tonight because I'm going to read like half of the Bible, I think, before this is over with. But it's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Say amen. <laughs> Psalm 145 verse 15 says, The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Psalm 37 25, I have been young, now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Matthew 6, 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Genesis 1, 29, God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Genesis 9, 3, Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. 
On top of that, when God led his people out of Egyptian bondage through the wilderness, he would provide for them morning and afternoon food each day. And when they came to a place where there was no fresh drinkable water, he instructed Moses to go over and commanded to come out of a rock. Now, I don't know how many times y'all have picked up a rock and smashed it on the ground or hit it with a rod or anything like that, but I ain't never seen water come out of a rock. That doesn't happen. It doesn't work in our natural world, but it's God's way of providing for his people. When Elijah was called by God to pronounce a three-year drought and famine upon the land as judgment for their idol worship, God led Elijah by a brook where he could have water in the midst of a drought, and he commanded ravens to bring him food in the midst of a famine. So all of this tells us one thing with certainty, is that God never fails to provide for his people with the nourishment needed to sustain life. If there's one thing we certainly don't like in our lives is food and water. Would you agree? Think of how blessed we are by God. If you get hungry, you go eat. You don't have to search far to find it. If you get thirsty, you go and find something to drink. and You don't have to look very far to find it. We eat and we drink because of the blessings of God upon our lives out of a surplus. We have what we need and then some. Some people only have what they need. At one time, the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. You might be familiar with this. Jesus, Jesus gives them a model prayer. He gives them the Lord's Prayer. And so they're like, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And he says, sure. Here's you an example to go by. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day. So constant and faithful is our God in giving us our daily bread, we never even ask him for it anymore. And probably more than we'd care to admit, we don't thank him for it like we should either. Think of the surplus of the blessing of God over our lives. That he just provides without us even asking out of the goodness and faithfulness of his heart for us as his people. We're so blessed, even our water choice is optional. Now, I know, I know the point is we have no lack of bread, but I'm lumping water in with that as well. We're so blessed in the surplus of water that we have that our water choice is optional. You can have Aquafina. You can have Dasani. I'm going to see if I can get some reactions out of the next few. You can have Nestle, nothing. I'm willing to bet this one's going to get a rise. You can go get some Deer Park. You can have Life Water. You can get Voss Water. You can get Smart Water. We have no lack of water. Our water is, is so plentiful, we have options. And the reason why we reacted some of the ways in which we did when I was rattling off some of the options that we have is because you've probably tried some of them. Some of them you don't like as much as others. They have a weird taste. Like, I'm not going to lie, that Deer Park stuff, it's something different. Like, I'm not about that. But it's funny because we're so blessed that even our water choice is optional. But we're so spoiled that we actually have a preference. 
we can walk in, into any given store and look at the water section and decide, I'm not going to drink that water because it tastes funny. It's water. At the end of the day, it's still water. Think of how many people across our world could care less about what the brand was, but they walk five miles one way and back every day to get it out of the dirt. We are so blessed by God. We have no lack of food. We have no lack of water. David said even young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And we got to start realizing the blessings that God has brought and bestowed upon our life. 1 Timothy 6, 8, Paul says this, if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Paul says, if I got food, if I got clothes, I'm good. Anything else beyond that is just an added blessing. And beyond all of this, we have Christ as the bread of life. It don't get any better than that. He says, any who would come and eat of me will never hunger again. It goes beyond just the physical. It goes down to the spiritual. God says, I will take care of your physical needs. Jesus arrives and says, I will take care of your spiritual needs. I am the bread of life. You will suffer no lack if you come to me. You will never hunger again. That stomach will never growl again for the petty things of this world. I will fulfill and satisfy you unlike anything else you've ever tried. Our God takes care of us. We need food. We need water. We have no lack. We have no lack of bread. We also have no lack of breath. One of the basic needs of life is obviously having air. You've got to have oxygen to breathe. Remove that element, we're not lasting very long. If we were to somehow, some way, turn this room into a vacuum, every one of us within a matter of seconds would clamor and fight and punch and kick and claw and yank hair and gouge eyes to try and find a door out of here so we could get a breath. We cannot live without it. But as centrally needed as breath is, we never think about it. We never have to go out and search for it. We don't have to go collect it, putting it into a, a breath savings account to make sure that we don't run out at some point in time. It doesn't have to be stockpiled. It's just given. By who? By God. Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Job 33, 4, the Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Thus says the Lord God in Isaiah 42, 5, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes forth, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Job 12, 10, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Acts 17, 25, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Our God is the giver of every breath. That breath you just took, that was from God. That one, and 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 that one. It's all from God. He, he is the giver and sustainer of our lives, which each and every breath that he graciously gives to us. And if he were to remove it, guess what? That's it. We would be done. Job 34 Verse 14 says, If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Psalm 104.29, When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. God is the giver of breath. God is the taker of breath. It all comes from him. It is all sustained by him. It is all provided from him. 
but I want to show you something really cool. You want to see it? I, I don't, I'm not convinced. I'm going to show you something really cool. You want to see it? All right. Psalm 33, 6. Psalm 33, 6 tells us that by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. So by the breath of his mouth, God spoke all of creation into existence. Scripture shows us something special about God in this, and it's this. Each breath that he breathes is filled with purpose. And we see him speak by his breath all of creation into existence. But the cool thing is that we see him form man's existence. He doesn't speak man into existence. He forms man by, by the work of his hands, not the word of his mouth. He creates man. Listen, please hear this. Like, If nothing else, hear the testimony of God's word in showing that each and every one of you are uniquely and creatively made by the God of this universe. He doesn't just have a template that he uses to replicate the mold time and time again of each and every person. He doesn't just speak everybody into being. He takes the time to form and mold you personally. In Ephesians, Paul likens God's working hands in our creation as to him labeling us as his masterpieces, as works of art. So when it comes to man, God forms man. He doesn't speak man into existence. And then he does something amazing with the breath part. The breath is still involved, but it, but it takes on a whole another meaning. In Genesis 2-7 says that he formed man out of the dust and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God gave man. God gives us his breath. And if each breath God breathes is filled with purpose, then you have a purpose-filled breath every time you inhale. God has given us breath with a purpose. That purpose being to know him, to love him, to serve him, to praise him. Psalm 150 verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Listen, we need to keep in mind that we've got borrowed breath. And if it's borrowed, it has to be given back. And so we give it back to him by our praise. We give it back to him by our adoration. We give it back to him by our exaltation. We give it back to him by our commitment and by our surrender and by our testimony of his goodness and his faithfulness. Keep in mind in the room tonight, saints, your breath is borrowed, so give it back to the one who gave it to you in a proper way. We lack no breath. He's given it, so we should return it. Our God takes care of us. We need to breathe, and until he removes it, we have no lack. Not a single person in here is lacking breath. Okay, still good. Still 100%. Just making sure you never know when that last one is going to be removed. We have no lack of bread. We have no lack of breath. We have no lack of refuge. If shelter is a basic need of life, then undoubtedly God is taking care of us here as well. We've been blessed with somewhere to go. Every one of you came from somewhere tonight. Every one of you is going to go back to somewhere tonight with a roof over your heads. 
somewhere where you feel safe, somewhere where you feel secure, somewhere where you feel removed from harms or threats. You've got air conditioning, you've got heat, you've got the comfort of a bed. All those things God has provided for each and every one of us. But our God provides shelter. Our God provides refuge and more than just the physical. David understood this better than perhaps anyone. He constantly wrote of God being our refuge. Psalm 34, verse 4, we're the same passage that we're in. We're just going to back up a little bit. He writes, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Psalm 62, 8, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Psalm 18, 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, Psalm 91, 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, Psalm 119, 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. David spent the better part of his life running from and facing enemies, dealing with family crisis, national crisis, leadership decisions. And so often the world would seem to be crumbling around him, putting on him a weight that was too heavy for him to carry. And when he found himself in those moments, he would run into God as his refuge and as his safe place. Psalm 34, 8, where we were just reading, he says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Right underneath that, he says, Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. How many of you know life can get absolutely crazy? Life can get absolutely overwhelming. Life can become discouraging. Life can become difficult. Life can become loud. It can become hectic. It can become all those things just that quickly. A lot of you know I like to fish. A while back, I was out on the lake. It was during the spring, and you know how volatile spring weather can get sometimes. So I'm kind of out in the middle of the lake, and I'm fishing. And there's a storm kind of brewing behind me like I'm aware that it's there. I can kind of hear some rumblings way back in the distance, but it's like miles down the lake. Like I can see it way back behind me. There's no threat whatsoever. It hasn't gotten anywhere close. I'm keeping an eye on it. If it starts getting closer, I'll pack up. I'll leave. I'll get out of its path. So I'm standing there just doing my thing. I'm fishing. I'm concentrating on what's going on. It's getting a little bit louder, a little bit closer. I'm paying attention to all that, but nothing, no threat. It's not even raining at this point. And then out of nowhere, this clap of lightning strikes. I promise you it had to have been no farther than like 10 feet off the, off the bow of the boat. Like it was blinding, and it was deafening. And like out of reaction, I just like absolutely hit the ground. I was like, oh my, it's like a flash grenade. I was just like, oh my goodness, like I'm dead. This is it. I'm like feeling my body. I'm like, I'm like making sure my feet are still on the ground. I'm like, okay. Like, what in the world? Like, just out of nowhere, it's just like, boom. And I was like, oh, gosh. Like, I hit the deck. I crawled over to the hole of the boat. I got behind the steering wheel. I cranked up, and I took off down the river as fast as I could go in the opposite direction of the storm. In my panic, all I could think of was, let's just get the crap out of here. The funny thing about it is, is that I never bothered to see all the piers that were just a matter of a few yards away from me that I could have gotten underneath. Refuge was available, but in my panic, I just lost awareness of its presence. Life can be like that sometimes. All of a sudden, it gets crazy. All of a sudden, it gets overwhelming. All of a sudden, it gets discouraging. It gets difficult. It gets loud. It gets hectic, and in our panic, and in our vulnerability, and in our exposure, we just take off running 
not considering the fact that we cannot outrun life's storms, and at the same time not realizing the availability of the, pre- of the present refuge that's always with us. We just take off running blind, trying to get away from the situation, trying to get away from whatever it is that we're encountering, whatever it is that we're having to go to, and the whole time God is standing right there next to us saying, I'm your refuge, why don't you just run into me? Why don't you just hide yourself in me? Refuge doesn't lack in its availability. We just lack in our awareness. Run into God. When those depressive or those suicidal thoughts come knocking at your door again, run into God. When the temptation to give yourself over to that disorder or that addiction shows up, run into God. When family craziness comes up, And it will, because we've all got families, and they're all crazy. All of us have crazy families. When family craziness shows up, run into God. When work or academic strain becomes so stressful and overwhelming and full of anxiety that you can't deal with it anymore, just run into God for a little bit. We have no lack of a refuge. He will take care of us in our time of need. In God, we never lack a place to hide and be protected. We just have to seek our shelter in him. He will take care of us in his presence. We like no bread. We like no breath. We like no refuge. One last thing. In God, we have no lack of rest. As I say that, nothing about that means that you won't get tired. Jesus, while he was on earth, said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The rest that God provides, it's really cool because it carries with it an additional characteristic and benefit. So rest in and of itself is just being able to, to lie down. So he is the good shepherd that David knew in Psalm 23 that leads us beside still waters and lays us down in green pastures. He gives us rest where we can literally just just lay down, where we can take a breath, where we can have a moment, where we can disengage, but it also carries another beneficial element to it, and, and that's the characteristic of peace. So it's not just like sleep. It's not just being renewed. It's not just being restored because you got to lay down and take a power nap in between classes or whatever. you got to a full six hours or eight hours or 12 hours or whatever it is that you need for your own specific Life, it's the benefit of peace. It's not just to rest your soul, but to rest your mind. And I would dare say that a lot of y'all in here tonight, you're weary, you're tired, your soul needs rest, your mind needs rest. God understood this in the most intimate of ways when at the end of creation, after he had completed his work, his word tells us that he did what? He rested. To give us a template to follow. But not just that, to show us that he knew and that he understands how to lead us into places of rest. How to give us rest that is sufficient. of Not just our physical, but our mental as well. And I really feel like some of you here tonight, you're tired. And you need to rest in the Lord tonight. There's no lack of rest to be found in him.
He's ready to grant it to you. Just go get it. Go up to your good shepherd and let him know as one of his sheep, God, I need rest. My mind is weary. My soul is weary. I've been battling so many things. I've been running in so many directions. i got so many other distractions and disruptions of life. Can I just have rest? And what good shepherd won't take one of his sheep and lead them into one of those places? He absolutely will. Listen to me. At the end of all things, all the things we've talked about in this series, the things we talked about tonight, the basic needs of life. Like, there's so many other things that are part of this life that we want, but we don't need. God looks at the needs that we have to sustain the very lives that He has given us and never fails to provide them for those of us who are His. He is all that we need. So if you have God, be encouraged tonight man or woman of God because you have no lack in him none whatsoever famous theologian by the name of A.W. Tozer he once said this the man who has God for his treasure has all things in one many ordinary treasures may be denied him or if he is allowed to have them the enjoyment of them will be so tempered that they will never be necessary to his happiness. Or if he must see them go one after one, he will scarcely feel a sense of loss. For having the source of all things he has in one, all satisfaction, all pleasure, all delight, whatever he may lose, he has actually lost nothing. For he now has it all in one. And he has it purely, legitimately, and forever. If you have God, you have all you need in one. But listen to me. Apart from him, you'll always have lack. Apart from him, there will always be a deficit. Apart from, apart from Christ, there will... There will always be a void. There will always be a fulfillment that you never find. There will always be a satisfaction that you never gain. But when you come to Jesus and you get all of him and he takes in all of you, you realize you lack nothing anymore. You have found that one treasure that everything else in this life is worth forsaking to have.